Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. Hey, guys. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Hey. I took Matthew's. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I was like, wait, what? You just say hi. That's all you got to do. Uh, so this podcast is brought to you by Barbasol, the new Barbasol Shave Club featuring the premium ultra six plus razor. Barbasol, the brand trusted by men for nearly 100 years to deliver a close, clean, and comfortable shave. Visit Barbasol.com today to join the Barbasol Shave Club. Use discount code BROWNS at checkout to receive $2 off your initial shave kit order. Shave Barbasol. Everybody do it. They're paying for this podcast, all this fantastic content. It's true. What do you normally say on the intro? I change it up every single time. No, you don't. I do. I do say something different almost every single time. I, I say the same thing every time. I know you do. And I looked at you whenever it was my turn to say something, and I was like, I'm going to say Matthew's line. <laughs> <laughs> and watch him squirm. Matthew is, Michael's actively <laughs> subverting Matthew. Because Michael thinks way more about all of this than both of us do. Yeah, you say hey guys every single time. Oh yeah. that's what, I say the same thing every time. Yeah. Oh, I, I feel like that's what the people want. They want a little consistency. Um, during the off-season, we try to provide a little consistency. We record a podcast once every other week because we figure there's probably not as much information out there on the Browns. We can't talk about the game. But actually, in the past two weeks, there's been an incredible amount of information. Um, but another yeah. thing we try to do is we try to call our grandfather. Um, he's the one that made us a Browns fan. Uh, he made our father a Browns fan, and our father made us Browns fans. So we owe it all to him. So uh, Michael and Matthew earlier today uh, got a chance to call Grandpa, tried to talk some Browns. Hello. Hey, Grandpa, it's Matthew. How are you? Oh, hi, Matthew. <laughs> What's happening? Oh, not a lot. Just getting ready to watch this basketball game. How about you? Well, I'm in the middle of this poker game with my buddies over here. <laughs> By Uncle Dell. <laughs> are, are you winning? <laughs> well, I'm holding my own anyway. <laughs> what What's the buy-in for your poker game? Only ten dollars max. Okay, there we go. The high stake, high stakes game. <laughs> are hey. you on your podcast? Yeah, we <laughs> we are. Hey, Grandpa, this is Michael. I got your card. Thank you for sending me the birthday card the other day. Okay, well, buy some flooring with it. Um, some flooring. <laughs> well, oh, no, you know, that's Matthew just doing the flooring. Right? Yeah, I don't really need any. I'm not going <laughs> to gift him any flooring with my birthday money, but I'll find something good to do with it. <laughs> okay. Um, well, okay. Anyways, we'll let but, you get back to your poker game. Yeah, okay. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Okay. Uh, See you, Grandpa. Grandpa. Okay. Okay, sorry. I love it. Um, so I wasn't there for that conversation, so I just listened to it for the first time. My favorite part is when you thanked him for the birthday card, and he was like, ah, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. And he clearly heard what was said. Sometimes yeah. he just throws words in there when he doesn't actually hear what's being said, and he just laughs because that's his standard. Okay, Michael. Okay. Uh, but then he said, go buy something with it. So he clearly knew, like, what I was talking about. Not your welcome. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, we didn't get any Browns news out of Grandpa, but um, his newspaper in his retirement community doesn't uh, do a whole lot of draft coverage, it, yeah. I, don't, I don't think. So he probably doesn't have a whole lot of insights anyways. 
It also probably didn't cover uh, intimate details like the Browns cut Derek Kindred on April 1st. Um, what did you guys think about that? Obviously, when, when it first happened, we thought that must mean that something else is in the books because we didn't have a strong safety on the roster after we cut Derek Kindred. So uh, what did you guys think about that move whenever it happened? Not now, but whenever it happened. There's been a slew of these moves that Dorsey's just dropped guys, and I don't understand why Mark's got the... Squirts. The liquid farts. <laughs> um, he, he's off the reservation for now. <laughs> but I think we can carry this for a few minutes while yeah. he handles his business. But no, so Dorsey keeps dropping guys seemingly for no reason. Like a, a, a decent depth player that doesn't cost anything, still on a rookie deal. Like why are you drop? Why are we dropping this? This is similar to the Ogba trade in a way. I know we got a, a piece back in the Ogba trade, but... Why are we moving on from relatively productive players who... That are inexpensive. ...are on their rookie deal? Right. And maybe it's a Steve Wilkes thing. Maybe Derek Kindred doesn't fit in a Steve Wilkes defense. I haven't looked into it. I, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have a role. He's not good in pass coverage. Yeah. He's essentially a, like a dime linebacker. Mm-hmm. But he seemed like a productive player, at least a productive backup yeah and he doesn't cost a thing yeah i think and you know stringing together all the various moves that were made at the safety position it was the ogba trade where we got the safety in return what's his face i cannot remember this eric dude's name murray eric murray um which i have a lot to learn about eric murray i'm not going to pretend to be an expert on eric murray at this point in time but so that's one piece that came back, and then morgan burnett is probably the more direct replacement for Derek kindred in the role that he was projected to potentially play in this off- peppers well yeah yeah well and kindred right because the kindred took over that spot so and morgan burnett i would say is an improvement over what kindred would have brought to the table at strong safety but he also costs a heck of a lot more it's only four mil a year i know but that's that's a significant amount of money like that's a that's a guy that you want to play like a major role in your defense type of money. But I think he is. I mean, he's going to be our starting strong safety. Who else was out there looking for Morgan Burnett as their starting strong safety after the Steelers were done with him in a week back end of their secondary after one year? Well, Morgan Burnett wanted out of Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh was playing him as a linebacker. He didn't want to be a linebacker anymore. We might be playing him as a linebacker too. I, I just don't think that Morgan Burnett's been a really good run-stopping safety, strong safety for a while. And that's exactly what we needed. Pair him with Demarius Randall. He's a yeah. little better in coverage than Kindred and definitely more experienced. Yeah. I mean, it's only a two-year deal. I'm glad it wasn't more than that, but it still was a pretty significant amount of money. Um, it was $4 million guaranteed, and like it's like I about think it's eight. $5 million guaranteed, $9 million overall. Okay. Over the two years. How you doing, Mark? Um, I'm work. I'm working it out. <laughs> working it out. TBD. Just so all the listeners know. We should get you a wireless mic so you can. Well, I tell you what. Once I got down there, I was thinking I should have just left my my new iPhone X S Max up here and plugged in my AirPods and done live listen. You ever seen that? <laughs> no. It's terrifying. Actually, you can put your AirPods in. You can leave your phone somewhere and then walk away, and it will record. 
and like stream straight to your earbuds exactly what's being said in that room. So you can use it like a like a spy microphone. So like this situation is an actual reasonable situation to use it <laughs> while I'm on the can and you guys are doing the podcast and I need to hop back in. But in like any other situation, I don't think there's a positive use for it. Like it's no, it's like you're hanging out with your like wife and her like best friend, and, and like you leave your phone on the yeah, table and you hear what they say whenever yeah. you leave. Whenever you walk yeah. away, like this is fantastic. Every other situation has, is nefarious, but has, this one is normal. Has he stopped working out? <laughs> yeah, he's gained a few. That hair is consistently falling out. Uh. So that's uh, hilarious. Yeah. So you guys talked about Kindred, <laughs> Eric Murray, uh, and Morgan Burnett. Did you talk about we the Murray? did? We kind of brought it all in. I want to like harp on. We did mention the Eric Murray and trade that brought Eric Murray to us. Yeah. Of all the moves, I have questions about each of these moves. I think, and I'm gonna withhold judgment until I see how they fit into the defense and how it like works out on the field because. I do trust John Dorsey that he like works well with the coaching staff and is getting the right type of players for this team. So I'm going to withhold full judgment until that point. But I'm pretty frustrated that they went ahead and moved on from Emmanuel Agla. Yeah. We got one year left. The guy has been a productive NFL player, if nothing else. He's been injured. But he's been injured almost the entire time that he's been on our team. Like, And he's played through injuries, and his productivity maybe suffered because of that. Like, I want to see Emmanuel Ogba. He seems like his role in the NFL is a third rusher on a team, and that was the role that he was going to be pegged for on this team going forward this year. Like, I don't think he's a guy that you're going to rely on for double-digit sacks every single season. But this seems like the perfect role for him to come in in, a situation, in situational aspects and make a difference. And he can move around on the line. I don't understand why you wouldn't hold on to him. We have a guy at a premier position in the NFL on his, on his rookie deal who, by all accounts, is, is a good person. I mean, people liked having Emmanuel Ogbo around. I, I understand. Oh, no character concerns. Right. I understand if there's character concerns or whatnot and you don't want to put up with, with something for a guy who's being a backup, but that isn't coming into play here. No. I just can't imagine that Emmanuel Ogba can't bring more to our team this year and going forward than Eric Murray. Like, if you take Ogba's contribution this year plus the compensatory pick we could potentially get for letting him walk, does that yeah. not up? add up to more than Eric Murray is going to bring Especially when this you're year? paying Emmanuel Ogba like what 1.3 like 4 million dollars a year it to was... be a, a solid backup yeah. at defensive end position. It's just so frustrating. I mean like we've seen this blueprint of success from the Eagles in recent years of having incredible depth across the defensive line and we are finally in the position to like employ a unit like that where an Olivier Vernon or a Miles Garrett goes down and has to miss a few games and we'd have some like really significant depth yeah. at the position and, and we now, just now decided into, to give it up now we're into like Zettel playing significant minutes territory well i mean and you've got Jannard Avery i like that you know like he's like truly a sub package def- rusher like that's who you're going to want i wonder how much of this decision was based on the fact that it might keeping Agba on the roster might take snaps away from Avery. That's the only that's the only line of logic that but I figure, can like, like get figure behind. It out. 
figure it out. Play Avery over Ugba. Like I don't, I don't care. Keep the best fifty-three football players that you can on the roster. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Like quite frankly, I don't care if Emmanuel Ogba's pissed that he's not getting on the field. It's like, yeah. And this so is how, this is how the game works. And so now you've got Chris Smith and you've got Zettel as the I next like, guys up. Like, like those Chris are Smith. those are fine rotational players. Like I'm okay with having them, but Ogba's better. There's no doubt in my mind that Ogba's better, and. Like, having this new safety whose name I'm never going to remember, Eric Murray, having him on our roster, like, he feels like a type of player we could have gotten. And what I've seen from the voices that I've, like, that I respect in the Browns analysis community is he's BBC. He's going to fill the BBC role. He's going to be able to play in the slot and be a backup, like, safety. Isn't that also what TJ Carey, like, can do probably not as much do. at the safety side of things but definitely as, as a slot like so to me why don't you just pay a couple million dollars to keep bbc on your roster and you've got agba like it just doesn't make sense to me so i'm gonna hold on to that one pretty firmly that's the only move i'm like truly pissed at um throughout this whole offseason wait are you not are you not pissed about how much we paid morgan burnett did you guys already talk about that i would prefer that we didn't pay him that much, but it was definitely a position that we need to fill with someone with experience. Given that we're going to contend this year, the money was more. I wish we had. I feel like we paid about one hundred and twenty-five cents, or a dollar twenty-five cents on the dollar. <laughs> like we paid about twenty-five percent more you don't than we really needed know to. How this works? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. We paid about twenty-five percent more than we probably needed to. <laughs> Under, uh, understood. Under, yeah. You can edit that Fair. out or not edit that out. Whatever Fair. you want, Matthew. We got I'll it. leave it. Okay. I'll leave it. We so, get what we get. What you're saying? Now. Yeah. No. <laughs> at the end of the day, the Ogba just getting rid of Ogba boils down to I. I don't think it's a good idea to get rid of cheap young assets mm-hmm. when when you have them, and because that's what teams are built on. They're <clears> they're built on productive players on rookie deals, and I. I think Emmanuel Ogba can bring more to this team than Eric Murray will. And so this actually brings me to the point, uh, which is probably something we were going to talk about, is Duke asking for a trade. Like, I feel almost identically about Duke as I do to Ogba. It's not a rookie deal that Duke is on, but he's an incredibly productive player, a huge asset to our offense, can be used in so many different ways, and we have documented, everyone's documented, how he's been underutilized. But unless you're getting like a bounty back for Duke Johnson, why would you trade him? Like we're not bound to trade Duke Johnson just because he says he would like to be traded. Yes, yes, but here's the question. If we don't use him, we haven't used him. Right? Like I love having Duke Johnson on the team. You love having Duke Johnson on the team. Browns fans world over love having Duke Johnson on the team. But if we're not gonna utilize the asset that we have, that we all see that we have, and we're not gonna utilize him. Why not trade him? I mean, I don't want us to. Don't get me wrong. But if we're not going to actually put him into the mix and start utilizing his skill set, why are we even keeping him around as a... Because he costs $3 million per year. He's our only backup running back uh, that has any experience for the first eight weeks. Yeah. What What if we, at the end of the eight weeks, when we get Kareem Hunt back, we show Duke Johnson's 
viability in the NFL, and then we get a better offer. But what it doesn't make want? sense. What do you get? What are you getting for Duke Johnson that's going to be worthwhile? Yeah, like what was Jordan Howard's compensation? It was like a six round pick or something like that. Like I don't a couple years ago or last year. I'd rather keep Duke Johnson on my team. I don't. I don't understand why this is valuable. Like what? What are we going to get back? That's going to make it worthwhile to drop Duke Johnson. I don't. Obviously, the offer hasn't surfaced yet, or we would have pulled the trigger. Because clearly, there's been conversations. What do you about think? this? I I don't. It's going to be one of those trades that's confounding that NFL teams make all the time. It'll be like a, a productive veteran player for a fifth round pick that has like a fifteen percent hit rate, and it's just one of those things. Teams value. Team. Teams value that like asset that can't be nailed down because they they're overconfident in their ability to hit. Who, whoever trades and if we do trade Duke Johnson, whoever gets him is going to get an absolute steal. That's the almost thing is, guaranteed. it's going to be the Patriots, right? I mean, like like Bill Belichick's going to take Duke Johnson and they'll and actually like be turn, able to turn use him. Into because he's going to be able to look at him and Duke say Johnson and Sonny Michelle yeah, just like tearing I, up. I know league. what that player can do. Um, but other fan bases like understand how good Duke Johnson is. Like I have seen other fans of other teams, like and knowledgeable people, like that write in, you know, the football world, say that they would give up a third round pick for Duke Johnson. And to me, like that's probably about where like I feel okay with getting rid of him. If it, we're not going to use him and we can get a third round pick back, I think that's okay because. Honestly, as you look at his contract, the value and what we have to pay him each year goes up pretty significantly starting next year and then in the final year of his deal. And so it could make some sense down the line. But I still want good compensation. I'd much rather have him on the on the roster for this year. In the past three seasons, Duke Johnson, of all eligible running backs, Duke Johnson ranks number two in yards per play. Number two. In the NFL. In the NFL. That's pretty impressive. Which it, 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 I mean, it validates it, you know what? what all the Browns a, fans have been saying for so long. It's like that guy. It's a sample. Gets it's a sample size problem. <laughs> In the past three years, well, because he doesn't get enough touches. He doesn't get enough touches. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, "What? Duke Johnson's on the field?" But also that he's actually good and can. Like he could be utilized to the level that like Alvin Kamara is utilized in. New Orleans. Do you, to do a similar... You, do you think Duke Johnson shoots himself in the foot? I mean, we... What, with the fumbles? No. That's his only knock, no, is that he fumbles the ball. If he no, didn't fumble the ball... No, we've laughed about this for years, in that every time Duke Johnson gets hit, when he's he getting off the, the ground, ground, he looks like he died, and he just, like, drags <laughs> his body up off of the ground. Like, like, does that work against him, where it's, like, ingrained in Coach's mind that they're like, we can't give Duke Johnson more touches because he literally will die. Can't because handle. he almost literally died the last play. But he doesn't miss games. Like he he doesn't sit out of games because he's injured. He know, just but, he but, just drags his pathetic little coaches, body off the field <laughs> every, after every like play. So precisely balancing his usage yeah. rate. No, to it like might maximize be maximize Duke Johnson when it's, it's not true point. at all. He's it's just, a valid point. <laughs> well, yeah, like uh, Hugh in Hard Knocks wouldn't dare put him on the field because he was terrified of him yeah. getting a non-contact injury. Hurt. Yeah. yeah. Oh. oh. Man. That is funny. Okay, so I, I here's am, my, my take on Duke Johnson. 
from a pure football perspective, let's assume Duke Johnson stays on our team for 2019. And we're looking at the roster for the 2020 Cleveland Browns season. Would you rather pay Jarvis Landry $15 million to be on our roster? Or would you rather pay Duke Johnson $5 million to be on our roster? You can only have one. Duke From Johnson. a pure football perspective, don't factor in the fact that Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham are friends. Duke Johnson 10 times out of 10, and then I'm moving him to the slot to play Jarvis Landry's position. Right. Duke Johnson has made and incredible one-handed catches just like Jarvis Landry has. Not to the same degree, but like not in a, a similar capacity. He's made some pretty good catches in games, one-handed. Matthew? I mean... You're paying $15 million to Odell Beckham. You're clearly not going to move on there. But we have Odell for a steal. Oh, we're, I do not want to restructure his contract at all. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, no. It's we have, so good. We have him on the it, same deal as Jarvis, which is a joke. It's hilarious. Jarvis? Like Odell no. should make three times as much as Jar- as Jarvis does. I mean, look, if if they were both free agents in the open market and we were looking whether we wanted to sign Duke for five or Jarvis for fifteen, like the answer's clear. It's it's Duke for five. Right. But, right. Isn't that how you have to evaluate every single player acquisition? There's other intangibles that you have to take a look at, and that's kind of why I said, like, just from the football but side of things. I think also, it does factor in. But, but there's also, like, dead cap. Like, if we moved on from Jarvis, <clears throat> I think we have, like, $4.5 million in dead cap next year. Yeah. So, so it's – I mean, it's not just straightforward apples and oranges. and Yeah. Um, they're as complicated and messy as it is. There is the, the Odell factor and – you have to, but we can't continue paying Odell and Jarvis Landry as much money as no, we are. They're making to, as much to, as any other wide receiver core. You have to delicately like manage that and make sure that you manage it properly, because you can't screw like you can't just be business is business with one of them and and expect the other one to be like, oh yeah, no problem, like yeah, like it's gonna. The best thing that could happen is we could win a bunch this year, and then Jarvis yes. willingly takes. And then we're a in a cut. then we're in a positive position to have any sort of conversations that need to be had. But Odell's making one million more than Jarvis. Yeah, it's a joke. It's a joke. But anyways, that's the way I view the Duke Johnson situation: is Duke versus Jarvis, and like who is a better value. Like, it's like no question in my mind. Like, why would you get rid of Duke Johnson? But why do you view it that way? I mean, we're, we're not, they're not interchangeable parts necessarily. There are a lot of things that Duke Johnson does that Jarvis Landry does. Like everything over the middle in the slot that Jarvis Landry does, which is the best part of his game. The most valuable aspect of his game is in the slot. Duke Johnson can do. You would have another slot receiver, obviously. Like Duke Johnson would not be a pure slot receiver, but like as a weapon in the offense, like Duke Johnson. I don't think you're getting good value if you're like paying Duke Johnson five million dollars to be a slot receiver, because I think he's a below average NFL slot receiver. Well, you've read the reports that 
people on the team said that Duke <coughs> Johnson was the best route runner on the team before OBJ came. I mean, isn't that what a slot receiver is? Is someone who just runs routes really clean? Like, that's what Jarvis Landry is. He catches the ball and he runs routes really clean. He's not fast. He's not anything else besides a clean route runner and someone that has a high motor. He's a dog. He's a dog. You dog, like that one? Dog chat. <laughs> Anyways. Dog chat. There's I, a, I just don't think anybody's paying. No, nobody's going to go out and pay Duke $5 million to be a slot receiver. Um, but the th- value of Duke Johnson is that he's not just a slot receiver. Like, he can do that. You're not going to plug him in just that one simple hole. He's a utility piece you use across your entire offense. And he just needs a little bit more usage. And he can do it. He can create so many matchup problems if you like set up the offense properly, like with him as a centerpiece in certain packages. So, are you worried about this now, though? Like, we only have so many snaps, so many footballs. Mm-hmm. Like, OBJ needs his snaps. Chubb, Chubb needs to get his work and deserves it. When Hunt comes back from his suspension, he's. he's I don't care that much about Kareem Hunt because Kareem Hunt's not going to be in our team long term. That. Well, neither is Duke. But <laughs> I think Duke should be on our team long term. We have him for three more years. We have Kareem Hunt for eight games this year, and we'll have him under control for next year because he's going to be a restricted free agent. So if we want to tender him, we can tender him and get him for a pretty like reasonable deal. But if somebody signs him away, we might just get draft pick compensation. Like That's the Kareem Hunt situation. So I'm not making any decisions based on what I, Kareem Hunt's future with the Cleveland Browns is. Like he's a, he's really helpful for 2019 season, and I don't really view him as anything more than that. That's fair. But I mean, when we look at Duke, can we get him more touches, given the other people in our offense? I mean, and then you've got small time people like Callaway needs probably two targets a game, right? You've got other wide receivers. Higgins just resigned for the year. Najoku. Yeah, running his routes like this sounds I, like a nightmare for defenses, and exactly what I want to. I mean, have other defensive but, but coordinators. At some, but at some point, about. are you just? I like, think it's we've be got a, all these people, and it's like, oh, why don't we give so and so the ball? And it's like, well, we only had eighty-five snaps. Well, I think it's well, going to be not a that situ- many. You not have like many. sixty. Yeah. Or- I think it's going to be a situation where week to week, it's going to look drastically different from the past week because we have all of these options of where we can go, like everybody's going to get theirs, but it's not going to be every single week. Like, if OBJ has a fantastic game, maybe teams decide that they're going to double OBJ, and then it's going to be oh, open up for everyone it's else. It's going to be open season and for then, Njoku and then they're and whoever gonna be else like, over the We middle. can't double-team OBJ because of this, and then Odell's going to get to have his again. It's just going to be cyclical. Like, the people are going to have to pick their poison, which is a perfect problem to have. Yeah, to me... The only issues that can come up in this situation is like rock locker room strife, right? So like, if why would I be worried about having too much talent on offense? The only reason I would be worried about having too much talent on offense is if there's a sour apple that like starts to make things bad and infiltrate the rest of the team. The reason I'm not worried about that is one, Freddie Kitchens. I don't think he's going to put up with that sort of thing or set this type of attitude for the team where, like, it's about me. I mean, he keeps saying that same thing. What does he say? 
his quote about like the letters. There's it's not there's no I in team. It's like something you don't spell. I don't know what it is. He has this one line he comes back to it's like a variant every time. Of there's no I in yeah, team. It is. Um, so there's that. But it's also Baker Mayfield. He doesn't give a crap who he throws the ball to. He wants to win the freaking football game, and he wants to win more than anybody else out there. And he's the leader of the offense. And so I don't think anyone's gonna like be complaining if Baker is winning football games for us with that sort of attitude. And so these are the reasons why I don't care about there being too many running backs or too many mouths to feed on the offense. Like what what personality would be better than to handle big time superstar personalities than Baker Mayfield at quarterback? That's my take. That's why I love him with Odell too, because like Odell gets a little diva ish. Like I feel like Baker Mayfield is the absolute perfect personality to like handle that situation. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. Shut up. You run your route, and I'll give you the ball if it makes sense. But it's not a situation it, like he's gonna have a relationship with already does obviously like is. Like they're close, and he under they understand each other. Where if Baker has to say something, like it's going to be understood. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes me laugh to think about Baker Mayfield versus Eli Manning, and the like <laughs> differences between the two quarterbacks that Odell Beckham's like. One's like, like one's like the dopey uncle, <laughs> and the other is like the cool kid that's like smoking cigarettes on the bus. Uh, it's so funny to me. <laughs> they they couldn't be more different. So funny. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, um, so April 1st was the opening press conference for OBJ came into the building and um, Freddie Kitchens had a press conference. I love, you were talking about Freddie Uh and there couldn't be anybody more perfect. I loved what Freddie had to say in that press conference. Obviously I loved all four of the guys up there on the podium. Um, I just love his mentality. I love his stance towards the whole thing of mainly just like, hey, we're going to build relationships here. We are going to be one-on-one, person-to-person. Um, the only way we're going to win is if every single person on this team buys in. We're not going to win by people trying to get theirs. Also, whenever he said, yeah, our team looks good on paper, whoop-de-hell. Like, that's like, you couldn't... Like, I, I love <laughs> everybody trying to translate that to Twitter and the different spellings of whoop-de-hell. <laughs> <laughs> W O O P T Y. Yeah. W H O P T Y. Yeah, there was like a D I E in there. Like <laughs> whoopty. Um, I just I love his perspective of the whole thing, and I think it is twofold. It is Baker and it is Freddie Kitchens. And Freddie is talking about we are a team first over and over and over again. And it's all about our relationships <laughs> with each other. It's not about one person alone. Whenever he talked about um, Larry Fitzgerald, he said, I've been on teams that made it to the Super Bowl. We had plenty of great guys, but we didn't get anywhere until we all bought in towards the same common goal. And it seems to me that his entire focus is only on getting the guys to work together towards the same common goal and for them to love, respect, and appreciate each other. And I think it's so genuine. Um, and I think it exudes out of him. It's not something you can manufacture and he's doing it. And I think it's the exact right person to be where he is with all of these ludicrous athletes on the offensive end. I am as optimistic as can be, I think, about Freddie Kitchens. But it is true that he is the absolute biggest wild card heading into our season. Like the talent that we have accu- that has been accumulated on this team 
is pretty undeniable. Isn't Jimmy Haslam always the biggest wild card? <laughs> wild card! Okay, but, <laughs> but, wild card, bitches! <laughs> I feel like Jimmy runs into meetings and yells that. <laughs> okay, yes, but the thing about Jimmy Haslam is he, he doesn't make Jerry Jones-type like rash decisions where he just like takes over. Like, also, the thing about Jimmy Haslam is he's scared of John Dorsey. I think he's legitimately <laughs> afraid of him getting beat up by John. Um, so Dorsey, since you mentioned Dorsey, was on the Adam Schefter podcast earlier today, I think. And Schefter was like really like running up against a brick wall. It was a terrible interview, to be perfectly honest. Like Schefter kept asking him these questions and trying to lead him on stuff. And Dorsey just like wasn't having any well, of it. Dor- Dorsey has no, like... It was an awful interview. Doesn't play ball with the media. Like it was an he's awful. He's not good interview. at it, and he also doesn't care. Schefter like tried to have like a casual conversation with yeah. John Dorsey, and they just like weren't jiving. It was it was it was very funny. Like it's worth listening to, maybe for that reason, because he's like, well, I wouldn't say that, and like you know, it both just, of them can be very awkward, yes. and uncomfortable at times. Yes, and it was the peak of that for both of them. <laughs> And it was fantastic. And they also don't give an inch to the other one. Like, they're both just... Right. Um, and I was going to say, now I got distracted because of how hilarious that whole thing was. <laughs> but Dorsey was talking... What was Dorsey talking about? I, I, I didn't watch it. I don't you know. were the one what, what was I just playing off of? We were talking about Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey and Freddie uh, being the right guy for the Jimmy job. Haslam. Jimmy Haslam. Being yeah. afraid Oh, of- Jimmy Haslam. That was it. So, Jimmy Haslam, <laughs> he was... Schefter was asking about We're the so Odell Beckham trade. We're so good at this. This is why I just want to take a moment. I'm going to stop you for the third time, Michael. Yeah, I'll this try is to why remember. we're the best podcast around. <laughs> <laughs> Schefter was asking about the OBJ trade. He said, "Okay, how does this work? Like, you just showed up that day and you had no idea this trade was going to happen. You had this call at four o'clock and you came off of it saying this might actually work. And two and a half hours later, like you guys had worked out the deal. How do you?" interact with the ownership and like get that trade like approved right mm-hmm. and he goes oh well you know anytime in those kind of situations you, you always just want to keep the ownership informed and so i mean i called i called jimmy earlier in the day and i was like this might happen so get ready for it and it was like very clear that john dorsey's calling the shots like he wasn't asking for permission he was like informing him what was happening you, I told you. You might, you might have a reporter call you and ask about this, so here, <laughs> yeah. here's the deal. Just so you know. I told you, Jimmy's afraid. And He's it, more afraid of John than he but, is of prison. But it's also like... It's I, how I, it should be. That's how it should be. But I, but I think it also depends on the deal. Like, go ask Dave Gettleman what his like, experience was talking John to Mar- the Mara family about trading OBJ. Like, when you are getting the, the big player... I think it's a little easier to be like, yeah, you put, hey, I've, I've put this deal together. Like, I know you're going to like it. Yeah. Then when you're, this might happen. hey, we're going to trade our franchise player for like marginal assets, but trust me, I have a plan. Yeah, that's fair. But it's also, and this might just come down to John Dorsey not being very like, savvy in speaking to the media oh he's the worst but like he's the worst you would think that you would cater to like 
throwing as much like respect towards the ownership as possible. You know what I mean? In this sort of situation. No, he, he has no like emotional intelligence at all. There's, there's like <laughs> nothing going on. He's, he's not massaging it. He, he, he doesn't know. I love it. He he's doesn't got, know. I love it. He's got a one track mind and that mind is only geared towards getting football players on the Cleveland Browns. Oh man. He doesn't care what Jimmy thinks. Um, so there was a lot of other things that happened at uh, that press conference. It wasn't just Freddie, um, but it was also Odell, Baker, uh, Jarvis, and Miles Garrett on the stand. Miles was not what was happening at that press <laughs> yeah, conference. Definitely not the focus. He was there, though. He was there. He was present. He was present. I think it was a good image. You, you get to see all of the pieces that are being laid out, and they wanted Miles to be up there because he is a key piece of the defense. But Is there anyone that was pissed that they weren't on the stage for that? I was thinking about this whenever the four of them were probably up there. De, probably Demarius Randall, but I feel like he's just the type who's oh. pissed. <laughs> anyone, <laughs> anyone That's pissed so true. <laughs> but like, but isn't that interesting? Whose idea was it to put Miles up there? I mean, well, I think it makes sense if you're building a picture for what the Browns are going to be. Miles Garrett is a huge part of that. Well, and then and the narrative, it, it's like it's almost like there's two pieces. There's OBJ and his best friend Jarvis who's already on the team, and then there's the offensive cornerstone in our quarterback and our defensive cornerstone in Miles Garrett. Yeah. And, like, so I don't know that anyone really had a right to be, like, upset about it. But, yeah. I mean, maybe I think Denzel the, the, Ward. Denz, Joe Schobert definitely could have been up there. Yeah, but it did make me laugh because it felt like there could have been a situation where you're, like, you know, in PE in like middle school and it's like wait why did he get what you're you're number five and you didn't make it yeah you just who just missed the cut I don't know anyways it was hilarious though because during that entire press conference obviously it was only about Odell the entire time through and through Jarvis's relationship with Odell Baker's relationship with Odell and Miles was like I'm here I'm here too would would that press conference have have changed in any way if Miles was not there at no. the podium? No, not at all. It would make sense. You have your quarterback, you've got the the new fancy toy you just traded for, and you've got the storyline with his best friend and one of your other good offensive players. Yeah. No, would have changed. No, would. But I like seeing Miles goofy <laughs> smile up there. It was great. Also, just being huge. Have you seen what Miles is doing? He he just bought. He just got a new dog. Okay, so he just got a a brand new dog. He named it Gohan or something like that. Some Dragon Ball Z reference, I don't know. But he said that he was going to this dog park in Cleveland today at 3, and he invited anyone to come to the dog park and bring their dogs to hang out with his dog. And he said, I won't be signing autographs. I just want Gohan to have a lot of friends. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah, I don't want this to be about me at all. I just want my dog to have a nice life. (laughs) <laughs> the, and everybody who works in cleveland metro public parks is just like shit yeah exactly we <laughs> literally don't have the crap everywhere we, we literally don't have the capacity for that many dogs <laughs> I, I would love to see some of the images coming from from that particular dog park visit that's hilarious so um more about like the you guys watch the whole press conference like I did. more about like the verbiage what was said like what did you think about um Odell and his attitude and um Jarvis and Baker and like did it get you excited did it what did you think did anything stand out to you at all 
I mean, the only thing that stood out to me was I was just thinking down the line and thinking about how obvious it was how much Jarvis and Odell are excited to play with each other again. And Jarvis talking about how he literally was in tears, like with each person that he talked to about the deal whenever he realized that it was actually happening and coming together. And like the depth of connection there and all that is awesome. But I also look at Jarvis's contract and I just don't see it being a sustainable way for us to like put this team together to like win championships over the long haul. And so like the I, I'm looking at the end game of like with this having to be separated in some way and it just makes me nervous. I'm this maybe it's the the pessimist in me, but can you trade him as a package for like three first round picks? <laughs> I, I think <laughs> No, no one in their <laughs> right mind does that. Well, what was crazy to me was that Odell was talking about the fact that him and Jarvis would FaceTime every day whenever he first got to New York. That that's the kind of relationship that they have. I don't I don't have anyone in my life that I talk to every single day or like FaceTime every day. Yeah, no. I mean, Zoe's no. close, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, but not still not every day. Yeah. That's yeah, no, that's nuts. That's yeah, nuts. I think it's awesome. So it is awesome. It also sets up a potentially like difficult. <laughs> Are you doing your? I'm doing the live listen. <laughs> <laughs> gotta go for another. Gotta go for round, another. Round out. three. Did you guys watch uh, the first episode of Building the Browns? Yes, we did, Mark. Would you like us to talk about it? I would in like your you to talk about that while I listen from the jump. <laughs> if you wouldn't mind. Okay, we'll do that. Thanks, man. <laughs> Go. Uh, I'm listening. Building the Browns. Matthew, Building the Browns, you didn't get to watch the whole thing, right? I didn't watch the whole thing. I heard there was a, a, a riveting expose about <laughs> Joel Batonio trying to find an alligator. Yeah, they, they spent a little too much time with Joel Batonio on the airboat trying to find an alligator. Also, what, what is the recording of sound... Well, on an airboat. It was all when they were stopped. So, okay. like, they even had the tour guide explaining what they were going to be doing. Like, the whole shebang. So, everybody got all the safety. All the, all the... He had a couple, like, you know, like, tongue-in-cheek comments about, like, seeing alligators and, like, what he would and wouldn't promise and that sort of thing. He had his shtick, and they displayed it. Anyways, it was... It was not even worthy of this much attention, honestly. Um, the only thing that really stuck out to me, I mean, it was behind-the-scenes stuff from some of these press conferences announcing um, Freddie Kitchens as the coach and all that sort of stuff, which was cool to see him in a more relaxed atmosphere, like driving in the car with the head of communications and that interaction. It was just more of Freddie being Freddie. The guy that you've seen on camera is the same guy that you see in the Browns building, which was cool. Like, I liked that. Because um, it's just justification yeah. for like everything you've come to think and know about. These things Freddy put Kitchens. out by the teams are are just so benign. Like they're so just like trimmed down and devoid of anything that's potentially controversial. Right. You know. Right. They're, they're not trying to drive drama. <clears throat> it's like and, let's put everybody in a great light. And it's a. It was basically just a lot of other angles on stuff you've already seen. Like, a tiny bit more information on some of those things from behind the scenes and nothing more. The one piece that I pulled out, and I've seen a couple of people react to this on Twitter, too, was they had a film room segment 
with both Todd Munkin and Steve Wilkes, where they were talking about the Browns and what they're looking forward to. And Monken like went into this bit where he's like, "Well, obviously, like what we're looking to there's like a few key tenets of like what we're looking for on offense." And he just like spouted off like these statistics on what was important for success in his eyes for the for our offense. And that was super interesting to me because of how specific they were. So I wrote them down. He said, "When you're looking at turnovers from an offensive perspective, you want one or less more per game." You want explosive plays, and he defined explosive plays as a 12-yard or more run or a 16-yard or more pass, which I don't know if I've ever heard those exact numbers cited as explosive plays. I feel like people normally do a straight-up like 15 yards or more as an explosive play. So I would love to know what numbers went into that piece. You got to score touchdowns in the red zone. You got to convert your third downs, and you need to eliminate loss yardage plays. Loss yardage plays is the term that Monken used, and he said you have to have less than five of those per game. So we determined the loss yardage play has to just be a play for negative yardage, and you don't want to have any more than five of those per game. But which which makes sense. It does make sense. You don't want a lot of those. But hearing him being so definitive about, like, these are the, like, key principles that we're going to abide by and, like, look to, I kind of want to just, like, hold this off to the side and use it almost as, like, a grading sheet for, like, every game. Because it's clear what the, that they're doing that and that this is, like, a recipe for success. And so um, I think that's going to be an interesting thing going forward. And I would love to see the rationale behind the 12 yard runs and 16 yard passes and where that, you know, what we should do is retroactively go back to, to the games from the 2018 season and see how, and how they correlated with wins related to success. Yeah. On the next sin of our father's podcast. Sounds like something that you should do with all of your (laughs) free time. All of my free time. Yes. So much of it these days. Um, there actually was one statistic spouted off by Steve Wilkes, who clearly is not as um, analytically minded as Todd Monken, but he said the number we always talk about is 17 or less, 17 or less points per game. And so that's kind of his like key marker. Now, if we keep our teams to 17 or less points per game, you we're going to win a crap ton of games. No, and, because that's, and that's the thing. You expect to win every single game if you, if you are 17 or less. I mean, like, if our offense is scoring less than 17 points per game, like that's pathetic. That's just not going to happen, I don't think, with the construction of our current roster. So, anyways, that was building the Browns. And now we have uh, regained the presence of Mark, who has a pretty sour look on his face. (laughs) Bad timing. Uh, um, But I did hear everything you guys said. What's next on our agenda, Mr. Kuhn? Um... Well, one of the other things that we want to do today is we want to look forward to thinking about the draft, right, um, and who we're going to draft at all of our different picks in the different rounds. We don't have a first-round pick, but in every other round we got one. Um, who, Where are our positions of need? Not right now, but as our contracts stand. So who's going to run out? Um, their contract's going to be out at the end of next year, and we want to get a pos- player in place moving forward so we can have – um, so some sustainability at all of the positions across the board. Um, because the reality is, is 
very few rookies like step on the field and contribute at a high level in their first year. Right away. Particularly at the points in the draft that we're hitting this exactly. year. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, like we're not we don't have a first round the pick. The middle of the second round is yeah. the first pick we have. Right. You're not going to expect you hope that you'll get a player or two that are going to be able to contribute in year 1, but you wouldn't necessarily expect them to be a significant contributor. So Matthew, a question for you. Yes. Looking at this year's draft, what do you would you say the consensus needs are for the Browns? The top three needs, like where people are looking for us to fill in the draft. Generally, I would say safety, safety linebacker, offensive lineman. No corner. I would say corners probably in that conversation too. Corners. I would close. say corners fourth. I, I was going to say the same thing. Corners okay. close. I feel like I've been hearing almost entirely corner and safety with the first two picks. Yeah, and it I might th- be I think like it, I think it's just based on positional value more than anything, and, and like the depth of the. You could definitely in the you draft. could definitely justify drafting an offensive lineman at, yep. in the middle of the second round if that player is available. Yeah, no, but I think that those things are pretty consistent. You're going to need a special linebacker who like fell or somebody that you really feel like could impact your football team. Yeah, so what I tried to do, I looked at all of their players that are in their last year of their contract, like, looking forward. And so, like, that explains a handful of these needs, right? Like, at safety, we basically don't have, like, a reasonable safety besides Morgan Burnett that's under contract beyond next year. I mean, Demarius Randall's making $9 million this year, and then he's going to come up in this current safety market. Like, it just seems hard to envision us like paying a bunch of money to hold on to Demarius Randall. Eric Murray. Um, he's also yeah, coming Eric. up on his contract. I mean, but that, like that's Eric why, that's Mur- why this Ogba trade made no sense. We didn't get like a controllable asset going forward. It's a, it's a one for year, another one, one year, year situation. Rental. Exactly. And Is this so, what John Dorsey wants to do in his secondary? Like just get a bunch of mid level guys. Seems like that's parts. what he's doing at cornerback. At corner, like they signed Philip Gaines to just a one-year deal, like so he's going to be coming up. Like we don't have, I don't know. There's a lot of question marks going forward, and the one spot that really jumped out to me more than anything else was offensive line, like across the board, because you look at Greg Robinson. We have him for the one year. It's a minimum seven million dollar contract. Could be up a little bit more with incentives, and then at center, I don't know why we're not talking about this more. But J.C. Treader's on the last year of his deal. We signed him for a pretty like reasonable deal. It was he's like a six million dollar average over the three years. He's, making he's been 7. really good. Seven point two five mil this year. He's really valuable, and center is about is an incredibly important position. You lose your center, you're screwed. I don't know why we're not talking about this more. Like J.C. Treader seems like a player that we would have wanted to prioritize to re-sign this offseason. Just like we wanted to re-sign Duke Johnson last offseason, heading into his last year of his deal. And I've heard no whispers about any of it. So when you think about the question mark of Greg Robinson in the future of what that looks like, J.C. Treader, and then honestly looking at Chris Hubbard and his deal with how expensive it is, in 2019, he's going to be our highest paid offensive lineman. And he hasn't been playing like our most valuable offensive lineman. And so that his contract doesn't exactly match up to the output that we're seeing on the field. And so that leaves me with three pretty significant question marks on our offensive line. 
we shouldn't be surprised, in my opinion, to have like early, early picks at the offensive line because you want to be walking into a situation like we are this year with Corbett where like he's had a year in the NFL to like get used to what it is and then is now walking into a position where he he's familiar and we can count on him rather than having to rely on a rookie heading into their first season on the offensive line. The only the only counter to that, I I hear what you're saying. Yep. But we've got so many of these guys whether it's in the front office or um, with Campen being yep. our offensive line coach, who are from that Green Bay mold, where outside of like Brian Balaga, they did not draft offensive linemen early. They drafted offensive tackles almost exclusively. Yep. In the mid to later rounds, and developed them. So, what makes you think that we're going to spend our early round picks on offensive linemen? instead of our fourth through sixth round picks on picking up maybe two guys who we could look to develop going forward. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I'm not necessarily saying I think that offensive line is going to be a priority and maybe more of a priority than we're like talking about in this draft. Sure. And it might, it might show be, itself in it that It might not way. be first. It might be, it might not it be, might not be the, the second pick, round pick. Right. But it honestly wouldn't shock me if it's the, the second round pick at all. I mean, Dorsey's picked offensive linemen early in drafts that he's been in charge of. We saw it last year with Corbett. That was a very unexpected pick when we took Corbett last year. Like, he's shown that he values the position of offensive line. And so I would expect us to take two offensive linemen in this draft class, for sure. Um, Do you think we'd take two tackles? If I was guessing, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Man. Our linebacker core could be bad next year. Yeah, well, Af- after twenty right. in twenty twenty, so Christian Kirksey is the only linebacker worth a damn who's signed past yeah twenty nineteen because Schobert's deal is up after You're, this next year. Janard Debry not being included. Yeah, you, we're going to see where he plays. But going forward. no, it's a legitimate concern. So I am super interested to watch what positions Dorsey goes after in this draft because it's going to indicate to me which players he sees being long-term contributors to this team. Like, there's a lot of guys that like I don't know if they have a long-term future on this team or not, and I think a lot of it's going to be determined by like where some of these early picks. What Wait, positions who do you think, early who do you think that is? Like people on the edge, like Joe like, Schobert, you think he has a long term. Like you think we're going to figure out a way to I would think so. him to a long term I deal. would think so, but like say we don't take a linebacker till like the fourth round. That's good for Christian Kirksey. Yeah. Right? You take a linebacker with the first pick in the second round that we have in the second round, that's not so good for Christian Kirksey. Do you know, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like same thing at like safety. If you take a really athletic um, – safety like Juan Thornhill or something like that in that second round with that second round pick. Oh, I would the writing, not mind that. The writing on the wall is there for Demarius Randall. So I I don't know where he's going to go, but it's going to be really interesting to see which positions are targeted early on because it's going to pave the way for the future for sure. Absolutely. Speaking of Juan Thornhill, I want to watch the end of this national title game. So we're going to wrap this up. Hopefully we will... You, you want to... I do want to. <laughs> I want to. 
Um, so hopefully we'll get to you guys back next week. We're trying to have Dane Brugler on the podcast next Monday. So traditionally we do every other week during the off season, but when we get to have Dane on the show, we have Dane on the show. So we're, we're getting down to the draft. So it's, there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. So look for us next, um, Tuesday morning. We'll have a fresh pod out for you with Dane Brugler draft expert with the Atlantic. So listen for that. Just so you know, the athletic. Athletic. <laughs> Does, does he cross over? Does he do the Atlantic too? <laughs> what What would his specialty be? What would he write about? Um, I don't. I, I think he's pretty exclusive to the NFL draft. I don't know if there's a whole lot else. Would the Atlantic have any interest in his barbecuing um, skills? Maybe, maybe maybe it'd be like a lifestyle column, <laughs> just like talking about like backyard barbecue. We'll have to ask him. Put that on the list of questions for Dave. If he first, wrote for the Atlantic, first heavy hitter write? for him whenever he comes on the pod. Uh, as always, this podcast is brought to you by Barbasol. Barbasol, the Ultra 6 Plus Razor, is equipped with six ultra-thin blades and a seventh blade that is an ultra-thin trimmer to refine and style tricky areas like under the nose, sideburns, or beard. That's what I use it for. I go underneath my neck, around, you know, create those clean lines around my cheek area. Uh, shave Barbasol and go Browns. Go Browns. <laughs>